Hello and welcome to Be The Wolf. I am your host, Jenea Barnes. Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello, everybody. I am so excited today. Welcome to this episode of Be the Wolf. We're talking about standing up for what you believe in, which is such a Be the Wolf quality. I am here with Austin Lucas. He's a singer, songwriter, a community organizer, a boxing coach, and he is an inspiration to a lot of people. And he's also human and goes through a lot of the same struggles that we all do as he continues more and more to step into who he truly is, who he was born to do, be and do the things he was born to do. I must confess, I've known Austin for a very long time, so I've been privy to his journey. Um, years, 22 years, something like something that. Something like that. Our friendship, yeah. you know, our friendship is definitely old enough to drink, that's for sure. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. So, Austin, will you tell everybody a little bit about what you've got your fingers in these days? You mean other than like my back right now? Uh, yes. <laughs> you know, working out a, a, a shoulder injury that's always reoccurring on me. I've got a lot of things that I'm always doing. I am a singer songwriter by trade. So that's like what I do for, uh, for money, which I hate to describe it like that because it's like, I definitely do it because I'm passionate about it. But, uh, yeah, I tour uh, all over the world. I make albums. I go and I sing my songs for people and I use, my job and my capacity to travel around to go to new places and network with people mostly when i'm going out and about networking people with people it's not people in the music industry it's basically like other community organizers and different gyms that practice the sports that i'm interested in i do combat sports which is basically uh I don't know, like uh, when I say combat sports, it's boxing. Boxing is a combat sport. MMA is a combat sport. Kickboxing is a combat sport. Brazilian jiu-jitsu is a combat sport. All these things. And of course, there are lots of other types of combat sports. I'm just going to go ahead and stop naming them off because that would take forever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I specifically do an art form called Muay Thai, which is origin or originated in Thailand. And I discovered it. Because I was friends with a lot of anti-fascist activists and organizers who basically trained Muay Thai as a striking discipline so that they could defend themselves and their communities against like white supremacist groups and stuff like that. I 
learned about it. I mean, obviously, a lot of us learned about it through different media outlets and stuff like that, but I didn't get exposed to it like in any measurable way until I was living in the Czech Republic. And that was in 2003 to 2008 when I was there. And pretty much like all the people that I knew who were interested in like keeping their communities and themselves safe from like uh, Nazi skinheads and various different like white supremacist organizers and stuff like that were, were training Muay Thai. And I never did it while I was there because I was mostly drinking and I was smoking like two packs a day and I like to do white drugs a lot more than I like to go places and, and get good at, at physical activities. <laughs> anyway, fast forward to 2015, I had quit smoking the year before and I was like slowly trying to get in shape and get healthy. I weighed about 270 pounds or something like that. And I was just really unhappy. Um, I mean, a lot of it was tied up in body dysmorphia and, and a feeling of low self-worth because I am in the music industry and my weight was an issue that managers and record labels and also even just like journalists uh, and fans would talk about how gross I looked. Literally, people would say that I looked gross and I would be, I was bullied a bit online about it. At any rate, I had it in my head that I needed to do something um, and change my, like, my health. And um, I was having, suffering an anxiety episode or like maybe even like a mental health break in 2014 um, after I quit smoking. And I felt like everything in my career had gone, like had exploded. Uh, I lost my entire team, my record label, my agent, my management. And I didn't feel like any of the stuff that I was doing that I had made these big plans for were materializing and I had nothing that was within my control. So I was looking for some way to control, to have control in my life. And so I started like exercising and looking at how many calories I was putting into my body. And like, I slowly but surely basically found my way towards needing more and more extreme types of workouts in order to like accelerate this like fitness journey that I was on. And that led me to Muay Thai, which was something that other people I knew had already done. And they kept telling me like, Hey, if you really want to like get fit, you know, we've been telling you for years, go do Muay Thai. And so I did, and I fell in love with it. And I basically just started figuring out who I was through it. It's a, like, it's a really, what a lot of people will, I mean, it's considered to be a blood sport. It's very hyper-violent and it's oftentimes very much dominated by like hyper-masculine and like very shitty types of people, but there's a room for femininity in it that doesn't exist in a lot of martial arts and like the stuff that you wear, there's like a lot of pink and gold lame and, and different stuff. And as I got better at fighting and stopped being as scared of the like cis heteronormative, like hyper-masculine dudes that were the gyms that I was going to, I started finding that I really loved this like feminine expression, you know, like that I was having access to. And I started seeing how beautiful the sport was like in the grace. And I started thinking of myself as a dancer or a ballerina that just is capable of doing these things that are really effective in a fight. 
to keep myself and my community safe. There's so many pieces in here that I want to touch on because I think it's so important. Like one of the things is you had your world crashing down and you started, that's when you started embarking on the fitness journey. And that's a piece about really starting to actually look at what is it that you can control. And the only thing that we can control is ourselves. We can't control the weather. We can't control what other people do, what other people say, all of that. So starting with, you know, and I think this is why a lot of people are very into taking care of their body as a first step for everything else that begins to materialize in a better way. But finding that place of having something you can control and then moving into a place where you get to be somebody of power because each of us individually, we have so much power within us and we are bogged down by so many beliefs, so many false things about ourselves that we look in the mirror and we see something that only we see, nobody else sees, that may be a negative image. So beginning to really turn that around is such a great big first step and doing it with something that allows you to learn your own form of power. And then I love how you expanded even more into you know, there's feminine and masculine in everything. And so many people get so caught up in this has, this is the feminine way and this is the right way and this is the masculine way and this is the right way. You have to push through and be macho or you have to just be passive. And and these are the two out of balance extremes of the femininity and the masculinity. And there's room for the grace and the power together to create something really beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. And I, I mean, I think that I would be of the the person or I would be in the camp that believes that that gender is a construct and that like there's really no such thing as masculine or feminine. You know what I mean? Like, except for like what we allow it to, you know what I mean? Like to, to exist as. It's one of the many things that in my opinion is a collective delusion doesn't mean that it doesn't have merit it doesn't have worth that there's not reasons for people to feel one way or the other and that doesn't mean that there's not beauty in these things that we ascribe to masculinity and to femininity but the truth of the matter is is that like all they really are are things that we might find some use from and things that we may well find no use in for example you know like i grew up thinking like i really wanted to be you know like I wanted to be a mom when I was little. Like that was like the thing I most wanted to be. I mean, I was raised by a single mom. I really loved her. And I really, really wanted to be a mom when I was little. And like, I had this very distinct feeling that there was like, I had this huge connection with like, with something that was feminine, you know? And I had that sort of like summarily cut out from my personality. And growing up, it's like, I knew that I was queer from the moment like I knew what sexual attraction was you know what I mean like but like but I didn't want to be open about it for most of my life because I was afraid of the violence that 
You know what I mean? Right. Like that I, that I might suffer as a result of being open about it. I didn't want to show a lot of my like femininity or the things that I are ascribed to be feminine that I felt inside of myself because I was afraid of the backlash that I would experience as a result. Cause I was afraid of the violence of men. And, uh, as you know, as far as it goes, like learning to take up space and like learning to not be afraid of that violence and changing my neurological responses to violence allowed for me to just like start moving towards being able to be whatever the hell I wanted to be at any given moment. And people often ask me like, are you, are you masculine? Are you feminine? Are you like, are you trans? Are you non-binary? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, like <laughs> at any moment, I sometimes feel very feminine and I sometimes feel very masculine. I oftentimes feel trans and I also oftentimes don't feel like any gender at all, but this is called gender fluidity. It's just kind of this thing that I now allow myself to hang out in that I never would have been able to allow myself to hang out in because I like took the power back from, from society because I, I was giving too much of it and I had no control over other people. So I just controlled myself and that's just slowly but surely become the rule. I control right. how I feel about things. I control who I am and what I want to be and what I want to put forth. And that can change from on a daily basis or even from moment to moment. Well, in the piece that's one of the pieces that's really important, and we talk about like identity, when you change at an identity level, it really shifts everything in your being. So if you feel that you are one thing, and the world is telling you that you are not. When you try to be what the world wants you to be, the thing that really screws with us so deeply, and this is with anything, y'all, it's not necessarily about gender, it can be anything, but there becomes this place of shame. It becomes this, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You're damned if you stuff all of who you really truly feel to be away and try and mold yourself into what the world or other people want you to be, then you feel shame about betraying yourself. And if you do the opposite, where you just be the wolf and be who you're born to be, just be who you are in this moment today, then you might get this shame from the outside. And the thing about the shame from the outside is that it is usually other people's shame. It doesn't usually actually have anything to do with you. It might be a reflection of the place where they shoved down who they really were. So they can't look at you being your big true self and then it becomes painful. So they've got to try and make you feel bad. You'll remember growing up, they were always like, people are, people are in pain if they're trying to make you feel bad. That just tells you that they're ugly inside. And people are telling you a reflection of how they feel about themselves that they may not even be aware of. And mm -hmm. so going into that place and the more you can accept who you are, the happier. 
I'm going to dare say, happier you will become. I think that can oftentimes be true. I mean, I think that there are certain things that society still doesn't accept you to be. And I think that unfortunately, a really important component of this is that like, you can be happier inside and be true to yourself, but be entirely fearful um, because unfortunately, the world that we live in is not necessarily an open or safe place for people who are being themselves. And of course, you're right. It comes from a place of fear and shame of those other people. But like the unfortunate factor to think about is that like you can feel so good about who you are on the inside and so true showing it out in public and people will respond negatively and often violently towards that. And I mean, obviously, like the pieces of legislation that we have running through the houses of our country right now are there's no clearer example of that than the type of repression that is going on based upon around gender and reproductive rights as well. Yeah. And, and you're right. Oh. And that's one of the reasons why I do this podcast. A lot of it's focused on career, but it really is about being true to who you are. And a lot of us growing up, society was even more repressed when we were growing up than it is now. And we didn't have a lot of people being brave and taking that stand for being able to be who you are. And the more people that do that, and it's not easy, and it does take bravery because you're right, there can be negative repercussions that are dangerous. But the yeah. more people we have doing that, the more people see it the more it will become normalized and allow space for people to actually be able to be who they really are. Yeah. And, and hopefully as time goes on, the tale will be told in that way, you know, but it's like, it's, it's frightening being who you are. I mean, I've been on a journey since 2014 of sharing who I really am with like, the world and it has hurt me monetarily to start i'm a country singer and like when you come out as an anti-racist as a country singer that's a big deal um when you take a stand against fascism as a country singer that's a big deal coming out as a queer person as a country singer that's a big deal all of these things are supplementally also really really dangerous to be in the martial arts and fight like combat sports community too so it's interesting because I actually exist in subsects of the world of that are very much unwelcoming to folks like me. And yet somehow I managed to still be here. The uh, negative impact on my bottom line and also potential like physical safety is acute, but my overall quality of life is excellent. Like on the day to day, I mean, and that is worth way more. You know what I mean? <laughs> than almost yeah. anything else, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, and we go back to like pre-2014 and pre the blow up of all the career stuff and all of that. And you had more stereotypical success, I think, probably around that time, right before everything blew up. And but inside, it sounds like you were not so happy. and. So I think it's really important in the end when we think about success, what really is success? How do you want to feel in your day-to-day -day life? 
Is it that the money and the fame and all that stuff will solve all your problems? Because I'll tell you what, you're still left with you. You'd be sitting in a big old mansion with a whole lot of stuff and you're still sitting there with you and you're still stuck with all the things you think and feel and you still know all the things that you've done and the way you've pushed yourself down. If we look at the trade-off, what do you take? Yeah. You know, it's hard to know. (laughs) I I feel like, you know, that there are a lot of different questions that you can ask. And like one of the things that in the end doesn't like ever do much is like the the could have, would have, should have, or like, or what if. Like, I think all of us exist in a world where if we, if we dwell on what could have been or how things could have been different, then generally speaking, we're not like progressing and we may well like be regressing as a result of it. So for me, I just like, I know that I made big moves. I made incremental moves. They all had an impact on the way that my life turned it out. Turned out, I don't, I don't think I have any knowledge at all on what my life would be like if I had done this or hadn't done this. I'd know this. I think that the only thing that could have been different for me is if I would have um, done something to work on my mental health earlier. Like my anxiety disorder is acute. If I would have known that I had like ADHD much earlier and started treating it earlier, I think I would have done a lot better in general, but mostly like really my anxiety disorder and like existing in a place where I thought that I was alone in it, that I was the only person who was like this, that I was an alien um, and that I couldn't show the world that this is how I felt because I was scared that people would look at me and be like, and consider me to be even weirder than I already felt like they thought of me as. So the only could have, would have, or what would have happened, like what life could have been like, how could it have changed? I just wish that I had done something about this mental health issues way, way earlier, you know, like it just didn't feel like the thing that I needed to do. And it really, really was. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, there was so much stigma towards it. I remember the first time I went to therapy and I didn't go because I think I needed therapy. I had no idea that I actually had anxiety until recently when I got rid of it because I had it from the time I was a baby and I just didn't know because I didn't know anything different. Mm-hmm. And you talk about that feeling that you're all alone and you're the only one that goes through that. I literally just this weekend presented and did a talk at a Les Brown event with in conjunction with NAMI, which is a national grassroots organization for mental health. And the the conference title or the summit title was You Are Not Alone. So I think it's really important that you bring up that point. And it's important that people that are putting themselves out there are open with the fact that Hey, we struggle with this. Yes, we're being the wolf and we're doing what we're supposed to, we're meant to be doing. And, but we have had these struggles and sometimes we will still have more struggles. And sometimes we're dealing with it day to day. 
but we're stepping forward to be the best person that we can be right now because right now is exactly what matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you think about it's real I I just I go back to you and how long we have known each other and I think about way back when you were so young. I was so young. And I remember we were just hanging out and you were playing the guitar and you sang a song. And I was like, wow, he's really good. And then years later, when we connected, you were playing a show here in Brooklyn. And I went and I was like, whoa, holy crap. Wow. Where did this Austin come from? You are so good. And then over the years, as I've seen you more and more times, and it's just like there's such a beautiful presence that you carry on stage that is magnetic and feels loving and welcoming. And also, you're just really good. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you think that it seems loving and welcoming. I think that most of my life, I felt sort of unwelcome and unloved. And I'm not saying that that's true, but I am saying that it's what I felt. And a direct, I don't know, the result of that is that I work really hard to make sure that people can see that they are welcome and loved everywhere I go. Um, and, you know, that's one of the reasons why I do the type of, of like community organizing that I do and the mental are with as far as like, uh, combat sports and stuff like that, because it's such an unwelcoming environment, like from the outside looking in when you haven't ever done it before. And especially if you come from a person that's like of any sort of like marginalized, uh, group. So, um, creating spaces that are safe from the get go, you know what I mean? Like that, like immediately show themselves in a measurable way. And I'm not talking about like in like a lip service, like way. I'm talking about very much like um, from the first time that you walk through the door, you immediately know that the people who are there are seeing you and are going to ask you the types of questions that you need to that need to be asked in order to continue to feel seen, continue to feel safe, and to hopefully continue to want to share that space with those people because it's really really difficult to share space with anyone if you can tell that they don't really care. And especially when you come from a background, like where you've been, where you've been marginalized or like subjugated to the like violent or sexual will of like other people around you, when you walk into a space, especially like, cause I oftentimes treat a lot of people who are queer and trans and are non-binary. I have a lot of like, of people who are femme who like, who train with me and like, uh, the thing that that's important is that a lot of folks who come from these backgrounds who are seeking out martial arts, they're seeking out like some sort of form of self-defense. They come from that as a, from a place of trauma. And if you are not set up to pay attention and to understand what types of traumas people come, come from then like, then you're going to, from the start, 
be creating a potentially unsafe environment for those people to show up and, and train in. So the point is to make sure that you're like from starting premise, like being aware of these things and, and being very careful and knowing each person that is coming through the door, uh, giving them the, the space and the time that they need to get to know them and know what they need in order to make sure that they don't become triggered while they're there working with you, which can be very difficult. You know, if somebody has specific, for example, if they have like an impact trauma or they have an abuse trauma, you know, like where they've been physically like abused, where they've been beaten up, you know what I mean? Like certain types of, for example, grappling can be really awful. You know what I mean? Like for someone who has experienced any type of sexual trauma. And so unless you understand that and you're able to like, to have a skill set, unless you have tools to like have the types of interactions with people that allow the space for them to be able to communicate that to you, then like you're going to lose people immediately. You're not going to be benefiting them because you're going to be re-triggering them from the start. Right. And long story short, it's as a person who wants to have a positive impact with people in their lives, I take that premise as much as possible in my live show as well. Remembering that like, Everyone that's there is there on a different, they're coming into that room, like with it in a different mood, you know, everyone, you know, like is, is you don't know like what their day was like before they got there and you don't know what their month was like before they got there. And you certainly don't know what their life was like before they got there. So making it a space that's like as inclusive and open as possible is just for me, the thing that's the most important and I guess I'm just trying to like explain that these things are like core beliefs for me. So I'm going to utilize the same things that I know when I'm like, for example, trying to teach somebody who like has been through something very intense, how to be able to interact in like a physical and potentially even violent way. I'm going to take those same premises into just the place where I'm singing too, you know, because people can be traumatized by music. Also, it's very emotional. You know? Yeah. Um, and so as long as people know that they're safe, you know what I mean? Like from the moment they walk through the door, you can take them on certain journeys that you wouldn't be able to take them on if you didn't, they didn't know that they were safe. And so the fact that you feel that I'm give a welcoming presence and, and I make people feel close to me, it just makes me feel really good because it means that I'm succeeding in what I'm like trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you make so many good points, especially about trauma and re-traumatizing people. And the more people become aware of their own trauma and how other people can be traumatized, it allows us to have more fluidity in conversation and acceptance. I think about all my trauma triggers over the years that I had no idea, you know, it was just my way of coping. It was my coping mechanisms and certain situations that re-looped me back into old traumas. And it wasn't until I started healing that, until I started finding some things that helped me to feel better, that I was able to transform that and have those loops stop. And when we think about training people in any kind of combat sport, you definitely have the opportunity to trigger those things. And I can see it so clearly, especially a lot of people want to get 
into these sports so that they can protect themselves because they have been hurt. And so having somebody as a coach be cognizant of that and careful and taking the time to stop and see and understand you is really important. In fact, we think about growing up, we all need love, right? It's like nutrition. And the components of love, which nobody really talks about, is protection and safety, acceptance, understanding, support, and encouragement. And now, I'll say that most parents across the board are doing the best that they can, but a lot of those parents didn't receive those things either. And if you didn't receive them, you might not know how to give them. And so as a child growing up, you might not have received the protection or the safety, the acceptance, the support, the understanding, the encouragement. And when you did not receive all of those components fully, it's like you you have some holes in your cup, so it's hard to keep your cup full. Mm -hmm. And so when you have somebody that can help you to put the golden lay into the cracks of your cup and fill the holes so that you can continue to train, learn, grow, heal, so that you can start to fill your own cup and then eventually let it overflow to others is a powerful thing. I want to thank you for that. You're welcome. (laughs) What do you have going on musically these days? I'm touring Europe at the end of April, starting in Ireland and making my way across the UK, parts of Scandinavia, Germany. And then, I don't know, I'm hoping to fight again in the spring a couple of times. You know, I... I like consensual violence. So I've been like talking about a lot, a lot about combat sports and I'm really huge into the idea of consent and, and I really, really love joyfully getting punched and kicked uh, and punching and kicking people who consensually have uh, agreed to do that with me. And so, and I like to do it competitively. So I'm hoping I'm a pretty old fighter. I have seven fights so far i had four last summer and like i'm hoping to at least get like two or three in this summer um if possible and while also touring and uh, i have a record coming out in june and i'll be doing tour dates around that also in the united states and canada and so yeah it's just like balancing all the stuff like i i have to make a living and that requires going out on the road. And I also really love like coaching people. And I love also training for myself. And I like to, I like to get in the ring. I like to corner fighters in the ring. I like just really, really love like doing that kind of stuff. I like to spread the love and joy that like, that can exist in a consensual environment, even when it's violent. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. as long as you're doing it because it's like fun for you, then it can be a really, really wonderful and empowering thing. And so, yeah, I just, I hope that I get to do more of that. And so that's what I've got coming up. I've got tours, I've got records, I've got fights. 
<laughs> tours, <laughs> records, and fights. Yeah. What else? What else brings you joy? Like mm-hmm. I know yeah. we've got the the helping people be seen or making sure that they feel held and they're seen. Music, of course. Mm-hmm. Helping stand up for what you believe in, helping coach, helping or fighting, all of these things. But what are what's something else that just lights you up? Mm-hmm. I like food. I especially really, really love like South American food and Mexican food. Like I think that anything that comes in a tortilla pretty much is like my best friend. Yeah, I like, I don't know. Food. I love food. I'm really passionate about eating, especially at any place that isn't a grocery store, like any taqueria that's in a grocery store or any, any place that's just like a tent and like with a grill and they're just like hanging out, making stuff like outside. And that's what I'm into. I just like really affordable food made with love. I'm like a, I'm like the kind of person. My favorite things are always things that like people are like doing because it's like survival and because they love it. Like they're doing it like on, on the margins, you know, like where they're not like, it's not a widespread, like huge capitalist endeavor. It's like a thing that they're doing that's sustaining themselves and their family that like they would be unhappy if they were doing anything else. And that's just like why they, they've, they're doing it. Yeah. Sounds a little bit like you. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> How do people find you? How do they follow you? How do they get in on the inspiration and love that you dish out? I'm on Instagram at Austin Lucas Music and Facebook at Austin Lucas Music and Twitter is Austin Lucas. Uh, and then my website is just austinlucas.com. And yeah, I mean, I'm pretty responsive. I say hi to people. I have really bad ADHD. And so like sometimes somebody will write me and I will just completely forget to write them back. And I always tell people like, write me twice because no better way for me to realize that I should have written you back than to see that there were two messages from you. And the first one I did not respond to. And I'm like, you know, then I I do. Awesome. Awesome. And for those of you that are looking to find that love in your own career make sure that you're doing something you feel passionate about that you work in a career where you are seen and welcomed reach out to me we can have a conversation and see if what i have to offer is a good fit for you you can do that at elevatebookacall.com so unless you're driving i want you all to open up browser windows type in austinlucas.com follow all the social medias Type in Elevate Book a Call. You can see what I have to offer on my call. And yes, do all the things. And so, Austin, if you were going to tell past self, besides seek mental health advice and support and help, if you were going to tell past self or all the people out there one piece of advice, what would you say to all the people or your past self? Never stop learning and try to be patient with other people and yourself. And also never forget that there's a difference between ideologies and certain ideologies 
require subjugation and domination. And those ideologies have no merit. And we call them fascism and they take many, many forms. And anytime you try to pretend that other ideologies out there are somehow similar to that, um, that's called a false equivalence. It's not real. And because those other ideologies, they don't require subjugation, domination, torture, and death in order to exist. And fascism does on premise. So never forget. <laughs> never forget. Thank you so much, Austin, for sharing you with us. It's really important that you're here. It's really important what you do and the stance that you make. And I'm so appreciative to know you and to share you with the people that follow me. So thank you. Thank you. The feeling is mutual. Thanks for having me on. All right. Bye, everybody. We will bye, see people. you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be The Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together we can inspire others to be the wolf.